0: Bhagavato Arhato Samma Samyutta Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhato sama Samyutta Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arhat. This is the the last time talk of the intermediate course altogether 60 talks <coughs> we are discussing about the noble eightfold path <coughs> and in the last talk we discuss about <coughs> concentration group Today is a wisdom group. In a wisdom group, there are two. One is Samaditi. And another one is Samasinkapa. Sama is translated as correct or right. Deity is view, so you can say correct view or right view. (coughs) And sama, sinkapa. Sama is right or correct, and singkapa is thought, the right thought or correct thought. (coughs) And when we say sama, correct or right, that doesn't mean we are the only right one. Other things are, other views are wrong. That's, it doesn't imply in that way. Everybody has their own point of view. And also, Buddhists has their own point of view. And within the Buddhist context, within the context of the full noble truth, okay, The view that we perceived, and the thoughts that we applied, (coughs) are considered as correct or right. So, one should understand as thus. It is within the context of the full noble truth. And also, Whatever in Buddhism it comes out, make a statement, a definition, the way it perceived to be, it not from the philosophical thought or rhyme or reason or rational or logic. It doesn't arise from that. Everything arose, the Buddha, all his teaching arose from his Direct practice and direct experience. He turned around and taught us what he directly experienced. It's not from philosophy, it's not from logic, it's not from analytical knowledge, it's not from reason or rational. Everything is from the direct experience as it really is in its true nature without adding or subtracting. So all Buddhist definition comes from that point of view. So under those contexts, we call it the right view or the right thought. One should understand thus. It is not discriminating other people's beliefs or thoughts or idea. In this wisdom group, there are two, but we'll start with number two, sammasinkapa, the right thought. (coughs) And the right thought is defined. Always in Buddhism, you will see uh, two approaches. One approach from the sutra or discourses. Discourses are, talk in a plain language, normal language, you, me, I, the way everybody talk on a daily basis in terms of stories (coughs) and examples. So, definition in a sutra or sutta, you'll find one way. And there is also the same thing, (coughs) it's defined in a different way. It's called Abhidharma. It's called higher teaching. In there, nothing is taught on a personal level. No you, me, I, a person, a being. Everything in terms of process, in terms of phenomenons. Everything is with mathematical precision, so to speak. So you will see the same thing with the two different Definitions from two different approaches. But even though the definitions are different, they are one and the same thing. So that is one thing one should understand when you are studying Buddhism. (coughs) So according to the Sutta, what is the right thought? Thought about renunciation (coughs) is a right thought. Thought about absence of ill will is a right thought. Absence of thoughts about absence of cruelty is a right thought. So this is the definition according to the discourses. Renunciation, absence of ill will, and absence of cruelty. If one thinks in those terms and those lines you are said to be thinking the right thought (coughs) so what is renunciation okay renunciation is one abandons, cut off the (coughs) normal world everyday world what most people accept and then He abandon the sense pleasure and then go forth. Go forth alone with the nibbana in mind. Go forth alone to eliminate all form of physical and mental suffering. (laughs) His direction is that go forth or practice, or live, only for one goal, for the elimination of physical and mental suffering. So in very brief, that is what renunciation (coughs) means. Renounce a worldly pleasure, refrain, restraint, and only for one objective, (coughs) one lives and practice. And then another thing is thought about (coughs) absence of ill will. And you will see in Buddhist scripture, you will see absence of this, absence of that, absence of desire, absence of greed, absence of craving, and so on. That's the way it's put. But one thing is, we should be very careful about when we are practicing vipassana, okay? When we are practicing vipassana, what is vipassana? Vipassana is to observe on the object that is arising at the moment. That is what is really happening. In other words, that exists. At that present moment, you observe on the object that exists at the present moment. That is Vipassana. But let's say the word is absence of craving. Absence of craving. And if you are going to look or observe at the present moment, looking that there is no craving. There is no craving. And if that's the case, you are not practicing Vipassana because you are looking at something that is not there. absence of craving or absence of greed. Because you will see that word quite often, absence of, absence of in the scripture. So some people (coughs) go in and observe and scan, so to speak, scan the mind. In my mind, there is no greed. Okay, looking for something. (laughs) <clears throat> that is not there. So it is not in alignment with Vipassana. And there, for absence of greed or absence of loba okay. In other words, what it did is at that moment when you are observing, you are not looking for the absence of greed. What is the greed, opposite to greed? Greed is one thing. Another one is letting go, generosity, giving, sharing. So at that moment, in your mind, the object that comes up is generosity. You observe that mental state of generosity. That is, you are, in a way, observing the absence of greed. As such, when you practice one should, practice vipassana, do not go and look for absence of this or absence of that. In other words, you are purposely looking for something that is not there, that is not in accordance with vipassana. Quite a few people make that error, so something to take a note. Renunciation, we know. Now, absence of ill will. Absence of ill will mean you are not thinking about, I don't have ill will, okay? I don't do this, I don't do that, not that. What is opposite to ill will? Opposite to ill will is loving kindness. What's about absence of ill will is, you are thinking, contemplating, developing about loving kindness. The same thing, absence of cruelty, don't look for something that is not there. What is there opposite to cruelty? If you don't have cruelty, you have compassion. Automatically, it's there, there. So, your thoughts, your contemplation are about compassion. So, those are the right thoughts. Thoughts about renunciation, thoughts about loving kindness, thoughts about compassion. According to the sutta, that is the right thought. If you dwell in it, if you think about it, if you reflect upon those things, you are living with the right thought. But, and according to Abhidharma, according to Abhidharma, that's different. Because when you're observing, generosity may come up, may not come up. Sharing may come up, may not come up. <coughs> they may pop up once in a while. So what do you do the rest of the time? It becomes, in practicality, it becomes difficult. So Aparitama defines okay, the right thought in a different way. The way it define is, <coughs> it is similar to the word called Vitakka. Vidaka means applied thought. Applied thought. And what is applied thought in here according to the vipassana? In a vipassana, what are we doing? Every moment, every moment, every present moment, every present moment, whether you do or you don't, there's object always arising and pass away, another object arise and pass away. Okay? Under your knowledge or without your knowledge, consciously or subconsciously or without any conscious, they are always happening. And our job, as Vipassana practitioner is, you must be observing every object that is arising and passed away. So to observe an object, okay, you must direct your mind to that object. In other words, you have to turn your attention, direct your attention towards the object that is arising. <coughs> That is what vipassana practitioner, do. The object arises, you have to, with full effort, with urgent effort, direct your mind towards that object, direct your mind towards that object. Pay attention towards that object without missing, all the time, constantly. <coughs> that is what <coughs> one is doing. So, when you are actually turning or directing your attention towards the object, there is no actual thinking process. Not about loving kindness, not about compassion, not about renunciation, not about anything, not about that sense pleasure, any of the sense pleasure, not about imagination, nothing. You are simply directing the mind so there's no thoughts <coughs> the way that we understand as thought with the content nothing but simply an effort of attenching turning the attention or directing towards the object that is arising at the moment <coughs> and according to Abhidharma that is the right thought so it doesn't really contain Thought process, that way, the way we understand, it doesn't contain thought, but it is an effort. That thought process, place, space, duration, time, is taken by that effort of directing the mind towards that object so that you won't miss, so that you can be with it, you can be face-to-face with it. And that application of the thought, a thought without the thought contents is called the right thought. Samā sinkapa, the right thought. So, on a practical level, in a meditative level, in a vipassana level, that is the right thought. <coughs> that is what the right thought is. Now, another one is, this right thought is grouped in the wisdom group. So, how does the wisdom come in? How does the wisdom come in? Why did the Buddha put this applied mind to the arising of the object as a wisdom? Because if you really want to understand something truly and correctly as it really is, you must be face-to-face with it. You must engage it directly, not indirectly. Only when you come face-to-face with it, you can experience the true nature of that object (coughs) as it really is. So that process gives you the direct, straight, and precise opportunity to understand that object. That understanding, that knowing, okay. is wisdom. Because of this right thought, samasikapa, or applied thought towards the object that is arising, is grouped in the wisdom group. <clears throat> And of course, while you are not meditating, while you are general, when you are not in meditation, you can think about, oh yeah, I will go to retreat. Uh, There's a retreat coming up. There's a seven days retreat. I will go there. That's a thought about renunciation. And there are many instances, you know what? Anything related with love and kindness. That's about the right thought. And thoughts about non cruelty about compassionate things, that's the right thought. So if you're not in a meditative state, you can live, you can involve and engage with compassion, loving kindness, and anything related to renunciation, up to the level you can afford. Okay? Renunciation doesn't mean that you have to hundred percent renounce. You meditate, 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 everything gone. If you desire, so yes. But if your life does not give the opportunity to go to that level, you must know how to balance, okay, between your normal daily life and also this meditative life. You must know how to balance it. That Art of knowing the balance between your normal life and <clears throat> meditative life or a part of renunciation is also wisdom okay? because Buddha didn't teach all these things only for the monks it teach for everyone everybody who wants to live that life at the level that they can afford, at the level that they desire to live. So it is not one or the other you must choose. But if you want to choose, that is your business. You can shave your head, take the rope, and renounce. Go forth to the forest and practice. That's also your choice. Or, no, I don't like anything. Else. I'll just live I'll make my money, my life comfortable. I'll have a little pleasure here, friends, this, that. As long as I don't hurt and harm anybody, that's good enough. Then that is your choice too. So the choice is yours. Nobody forced you. The Buddha didn't force you to do anything, but he give us many parts. Each part will lead to different destination. So keep that in mind. So both definition on the discourses and definition in Abhidharma are very useful depending on which part of your life you want to apply. (coughs) Going retreat for 10 days, it's renunciation. Don't think you have to live the rest of your life in the forest alone. Of course, that is the 100% renunciation. But we all have to choose with what is given to us and how much our desire, wish or not wish. <coughs> Good, enough about this samasankapa This will be plenty to understand. Let's go to Deiti. The right view. Okay. I'm not going to redefine it. I have already said what the right view in Buddhism means. <coughs> a sets of facts discovered through direct experience. And those experiences are converted into words and phrase and sentences and make a conventional statement. That is samma in Buddhism. Correct right. <clears throat> so in here too in the discourses sutta, the definition is okay, the full noble truth. Okay, if you know the full noble truth, if you have the whole the view of the full noble truth, that is the samadhi the right view. And again, too, this knowing the four noble truth has a two level. One level is intellectually through books, lectures, reading, and so on. Apply your logic, reason, rational, and so on. That's it. That also is good. That also is important. A point to start. A point to start. But when the Buddha said samadhi, knowing the full noble truth is, what he really mean is experiential understanding, direct understanding of the full noble truth. That is samadhi. Only when you understand these full noble truth experientially and directly, then it become samadhi. The other one was just knowledge. We cannot say sama. We can say we cannot say it is in a wisdom group, but at least it is a, a doorway to the sama deity. <clears throat> at least you are prepared. You have some general idea, general cons- Buddhist concept of what the Four Noble Truth is. So one must understand that way. Sama deity means direct experiential knowledge of the full noble truth through the practice samadhi understanding the four noble truth and also there are other points in that group of samadhi the right view knowing and understanding about karma or karma. Okay? In other words law of cause and effect. Okay. Karma vipaka. Karma is actions, vipaka is the result. Actions and result or cause and effect. <coughs> cause and effects in context of living beings. That is karma, not of the only the physical world. Physical world also have the cause and effect but that is not called karma. Karma is the cause and effect, karma vipaka, causal relationship in living beings. That's karma. That one too is under the group of the <coughs> right view. And that one is, we have talked about karma before many times so you already know in other words to put in a different way previous life exists this life exists and future life will exist okay previous life is the cause this life is the effect this life is the cause the future life is the effect and a normal stream of flow. That is karma. I won't expand too much on it, because we have talked about karma many times. But that concept, that law of karma is a must if you are going to start as a Buddhist. Without believing in the law of karma, causal relationship, cause and effect, okay, you cannot proceed on the path of Dhamma as a Buddhist. The law of karma is also the right view. If you base on it and if you practice it, you will carry on. If you don't believe in it, there's no point to practice. And also another one is the the three characteristics of mind and matter, which is anicca, dukkha, and anatta, impermanence, suffering, and non-self. That is also the concept is called the right view. <coughs> In a way, it is refer everything back to the four noble truth. Let's go to vipassana, satipatthana vipassana. What do I be doing? We are practicing and practicing and practicing so that we can experience directly the specific characteristics of mind and the specific characteristics of matter. That's the first. To experience these specific individual characteristics of mind and matter, so many matters, so many mind. You need mindfulness and concentration. Through that you come to know. And then, once it become quite mature, you begin to experience another characteristic. This is not specific. This is called general characteristics or common characteristics. What it is, is all things, all mind and matter, in other words, anything under this sun, anything under the universe, they have these three characteristics, anything and everything with no exception in this conditioned world. They are always in a state of flux, in a state of change and permanence. And they have the Suffering, Dukkha, unpleasant nature, oppressive nature. And thirdly, okay, called Anatta. Anatta is, one of the explanation of Anatta is, you have no control over these mind and matter. You cannot control the mind, you cannot control the matter. They are constantly, constantly, without exception, breaking down, passing away with unpleasant feelings. That is uncontrollability, and that is called anatta. And also anatta, in a different translation, different way, is called non-self, anatta, non-self, also no soul, no spirit, no identity, no individuality, no personality, no beings. That is also the definition or translation of anatta. (coughs) So those are the three characteristics, anicca, dukkha, and anatta constant state of change, oppressive natures of change, and uncontrollable nature of these change. That's called nature Dukarnata. Three common characteristics of all living beings. And that is also the right view. So in here, the Four Noble Truth, We don't have to, talk about again because we are talking about the Four Noble Truth probably in the last, I don't know, nine, ten Dharma talks, all about Four Noble Truth. So we won't pick on these kind of uh, concepts and explanation. We already know. And also we have talked many a times and heard many a times about karma. So we don't need to pick up here. We already heard, we already understood. And Anicca, okay constant state of change, is in a material world, physical world, we don't need to even discuss about it. Science has proven how everything is changing at all time. Okay. The science can prove about The rate of change is about 10 million of a second up to that level. The Buddhist rate of change for material is like billion of a second. It's a change. I don't think science will ever reach to that state. But regardless, they are in the same trend, same direction. It's a proof. And also, anything that is breaking down, anything oppressed by the state of change or breaking down is a unsatisfactory nature totally unsatisfactory that is suffering or dukkha that one too quite obvious no need much anatta that's an elusive one anatta because it is not tangible you can't touch You can't seal, you can't feel, you just grab, you can't pin on it. Nata. So let's discuss about Nata. What is this non-self, no soul, no spirit? (coughs) I'll approach this in a different way. Let's say, in Hinduism, they said Atta. Atman, okay? A self or a soul, okay? It exists. This self or soul is the same thing, the same soul. There's a previous life, there's this life, there's snake life, there's many lives to come, there are many lives that passed. Indestructible, the same thing. Changing from body to body to body, shell to shell to shell. And it is trying to purify oneself, purify that soul. And also, I don't know with precision in general, these souls come from the great creator, or the great brahma, or the big soul, and some return to that source, and so on and so forth. There are so many concepts, so many beliefs, so many (coughs) ideas, so many views. Okay, even in a Hinduism there are so many different directions. And let's say Christianity. Christianity too, there's a soul. There's a spirit. Okay? Soul, spirit, me. Yes, I. But they have their own definition too. Of course these souls are created by the Creator God or the supreme being, whatever we perceive to be. Created, it exists, it's me. It's me in the past, me now, me future, me will be in a judgment day, me will go to hell, me go to heaven. That kind of concept, belief, they have it. And you can't go and argue with them. They believe, they believe, period. And the same thing to Judaism, they have this self, spirit, self. I think called, pronounced, rosestration or something like that, pronunciation, from Iran. The same thing, soul. In other words, every religion, every concept, every belief, they define this as a, a self, a a soul spirit id ego or atman this is how they define okay whether hindu define it or various hindu sect define it whether christian define it whether islam define it whoever defined it in this religion they refer They are referring to the same thing. Use different words, different ideas, different creation, but they are pointing to the same thing. Different words. Simple in the material world. Let's say you hold an ice tube. It's a coal. Okay. In English, we call it cold. In Burmese, we call it a. And in Chinese, what do you call cold? What's a word? Cold. <coughs> <coughs> None. 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 Okay. In Indian, how do you call it? Nd. Nd. So. Coal is coal, and we all have different words and different names. But it is referring, regardless, a hundred languages will have a hundred words, but it refers to the same thing. Coal, ice cube is coal. But one thing is here is tangible, touchable, identifiable, so eventually we come to consensus. Ah, okay, I call this way, you call that way, but the same thing ah, let's call what we want, that's it. But this soul is, or Atman, or spirit is intangible. So we cannot go and prove like the way we prove what is called, but it is the same. Regardless, whatever concept you are pouring onto that thing, we are pointing to the same thing. Now, Buddhists come in, Buddhists come in, and we call the same thing as anatta. Okay. Keep that in mind. It is very. This is the point I want to make. The Buddhists call it as anatta. Okay, the conceptual, the meaning is non-self, no soul, no spirit. Okay. And as soon as you hear the one, non-self, no soul, oh. We say there's a soul, they say there's no soul. We say there's a spirit, they say there's no spirit. Automatically, based on the words and based on a perception, that is the way we automatically jump in and build wall and concept and fight and argue. The Buddhists call it anatta, non-self. That also refers to the same thing what you call soul, what you call spirit. Everything is pointing to the same thing. If you understand that way, it's easier to walk together. But if you just jump onto the words, there's a soul, there's no soul. The Buddha said no soul. Then there's no bridge to come. No soul is a word. Soul is a word. Spirit is a word non self is a word, but they are all pointing to one, same, one and the same thing. One and the same thing. Just like ice cube is cold and we have many words, the same thing. There is something, if you want to call it something, if you want to call it so, and we all define in a different way but we are talking about the same thing. That is the one thing one needs to understand. <clears throat> now, let's say the Buddhists call it non-self, no soul, okay. no spirit. Do the same thing. But in terms of words, it is day and night. There is soul, there's no soul. There's spirit, there's no spirit. There's no bridge to have commonality. But what does it the Buddhists mean by no soul, no self? Keep in mind, we are talking about the same thing. Every religion is talking about the same thing. In a soul, It is, it exists, it's me, it's I. It's me, the last life, me now, me later, okay. Indestructible, unchanging. And also the creation, who created it and so on and so forth, that is the way Most of the religions look at that, what we call, let's say, X. We call it X. Whether you call it soul or spirit or no soul or non-spirit, let's call it X. Now, the Buddhists look at that X and say, there is no soul, there is no spirit. Then the question arises, then what it is? What is it? The answer is, from the Buddhist point of view, what you call X is a phenomenon. What you call X is a process. That's the Buddhist definition of that X. Okay. Hindu definition of a X is, Atman. Christian definition of an X is soul, and so on. Bridget's definition of that X is a phenomenon, is a process. That's it. So at least, keep in mind, we all use different things, different words, different concepts, different functions, different characteristics, do the same thing X. Keep that in mind. But I'm not arguing with other religion or other belief or other concept. It is simply explaining how the Buddhists look at that XS. That X what most of the people, most of the religion call soul or spirit or Atman, is a process, Is a phenomenon. That is the definition, Buddhist definition, of non-self. Whether you call non-self or whether you call self, whether you call soul or whether you call no soul, we are all talking about X. So this is how Buddhists perceive X as. It's a phenomenon. It's a process. So I hope that I try to convey the message clearly to all of us who we are practicing or struggling or debating or figuring out about soul and no soul, self and no self, spirit and no spirit. And how does the Buddha come out to, be, to define that X as a process and a phenomenon? The way Buddha look at it is what, is, what you call soul, what you call self, what you call a living being. <clears throat> Let's take the closest one that we know. A human being. A human being is a part of self or soul. What is this? This is a combination of two phenomenon. One is the physical phenomenon. Physical phenomenon which we call the body, the physicality, physics aspect of it, materiality, matter, That is one phenomenon, that is tangible. So we can prove in many ways. And there's another one, what we call the mind, or what we call the soul, what we call spirit. That is the mental phenomenon or mental process. So what is this mental phenomenon or mental process? we have to go back to something we know, okay? This whole universe, physical universe, we know there's a physical law, physical phenomenon, physical process. there's a gravity, but the whole universe is made up of, in a unit shell, it's a temperature. Everything in the universe has temperature. Everything universe has a substance, hard and soft. Everything in the universe has pressure. The pressure, the variation in pressure creates movement and motion. And everything in this universe is in a state of cohesiveness or dispersion or expansion or contraction. Those are the four qualities Buddha defined, basically that is exactly physics, in the now-day physics. And that's how Buddha defined the physical universe as modern-day physics. Nothing else, all these four elements, poetically saying, earth, wind, fire, and water, they are all in the place. The air has are various degrees of variation, <laughs> and based on the variation, many, many substances are formed with different characteristics, physical quality, and different properties. That is how you see the physical universe as. It is simply a, a physical phenomenon it's a process process going through the variation of these four elements and many form changes transmuted one to the other one to the other one to the other constantly changing 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 based on the condition that is called physical process physical phenomenon this one is with the science we can measure it up to a certain level and we believe it, because we believe in our scientists. Of course, we just simply believe it, we have confidence in it, we, don't, we didn't really know ourselves. But if you truly want to know, of course you can go and experiment it as the formula or derivatives or derivation from. You can still identify yourself but you have to put a lot of your effort. Physical phenomenon, physical process. Just like this in this universe there is another phenomenon called mental phenomenon. Mental phenomenon or the mind. Mental phenomenon is just like physical phenomenon. They have their own laws, mental laws, mental properties, mental direction. They are not random. They operate through the change of causality, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. (coughs) So that mental world, mental universe exists just like this physical world, physical universe exists. And they operate through their own mental laws through its nature within the bound of causality, cause and effect. And that mental phenomenon, mental process, is what in Buddhists call consciousness what in different religions call soul, what in different religions call spirits, or some as identity, ego, id, and so on. They are all the same. That's why Buddha called it non-self, because it is simply a phenomenon, it's simply a process. But one thing is, The Buddha discovered that not from sitting down and philosophizing, not using analytical power and logical power, he practiced and he experienced these processes, mental processes. And he actually put down and taught us so that it is just like giving us formulas. Scientists give us formula. Is equal to m c square. The same thing, Buddha gave us formula, consciousness, mental factors, okay, mental processes, and so on and so on. He gave us formula based on what he discovered. We cannot experience as much as the Buddha did, but he give us a method, a technique which is the Eightfold Noble Path, specifically Satipatthana Vipassana meditation. And in there, we can investigate this mental process and mental phenomena. We can accurately identify the consciousness. We can accurately identify what soul is. We can accurately identify what mental factors is but they are simply various mental laws working in an intricate order, but still in order, not random. And that's how he make a statement or definition. What we call a soul or a spirit or a self is a process, is a phenomenon. And I know this through this practice. It is my direct experience. It's not a philosophy. And if you also practice, and he gave us the roadmap how to practice. If you practice to the point of so that you can confidently believe that it is a process of phenomenon, you will experience directly, not from, don't believe it, it's a process of phenomenon because I, Buddha, told you. Don't believe it, some great monks told you it's a process of phenomenon. But practice it and experience it and let your experience make a decision. Let your experience decide whether it is the eternal indestructive soul, or it is simply a state of flux going through the phenomenon and process and the law mental law, even at the greater speeds of change than the material world. According to the Buddha, the mental world rate of change is 17 times faster than the rate of change of physical world. That is nada. That is non-self. That is no soul. That is spirit. And at the same time, the Buddhists are, the Buddha is talking about that X, which some religion calls soul, some religion call spirit, And Buddha called it a phenomenon, mental phenomenon. That is anatta. But he left us a formula so that we can experience a self to find out whether what he said is true or not true. That is anatta. That is my take on anatta. So, this Anicca Dukkha Anatta is also the right view. And I would say within the context of Buddhist teaching, within the context of Buddhist experience, the only thing different from the other concept of this X is you can verify yourself, you can investigate it, you can experience it up to the level where you have full confidence that simply is a phenomenon. So that is anatta and that is the, the right view. So with that I will conclude this intermediate course may all of you be able to practice satipatthana vipassana meditation starting with the right view on a knowledge level go through the process and eventually that right view become your own personal experience which verified and convinced you the path that you are on is true correct and natural sādhu 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 buddhaṃ puthame dhammaṃ puthame saṅghaṃ thank you very much